You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here today. If we haven't, a ch- haven't had a chance to meet yet, let me introduce myself. My name is Bob Carvella. I serve as one of the elders here at Liberty Church and also serve part-time as one of the pastors. Um, it's good to see all of you here today. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19, which in the black hardcover Bibles that Elise referenced a moment ago, um, Psalm 19 can be found on page 456. Psalm 19. Today marks the midpoint of our summer sermon series on the rhythms of grace. These nine practices that we emphasize here at Liberty Church to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and to to enable us to live faithful, fruitful lives. So far, we've looked at four of these rhythms. Gathered worship, generosity, service, and one-anothering. And then in the coming weeks, we plan to look at Sabbath, relational pursuit, mission, and bodily consecration. I don't know if Matt planned it this way when he laid out this sermon series, but it's totally appropriate that here at the midpoint of the series, we look at daily prayer and Bible study. Because God's Word and prayer lay at the very center of how we pursue the other eight rhythms. How do we know what our gathered worship should look like, or how to be generous, or how to serve, or how to exercise our spiritual gifts to serve and bless one another? The Bible and prayer. And how do we know what we should do on the Sabbath? How we should pursue redemptive relationships? What it means to live a life on mission, and how to care for our bodies, or even why we should? The Bible and prayer. Bible study and prayer informs how we think about and pursue all of the other rhythms in ways that make us more like Jesus and enable us to live lives characterized by worship, community, and mercy. A friend recently sent me an article from the campus ministry organization Navigators entitled, I Don't Feel Like a Very Good Christian, and much of it sounded very familiar to me. Perhaps it will sound familiar to you as well. It starts out with the author reflecting on a recent conversation he had in which the person he was talking to, a young parent with small children, said this, I just don't feel like a very good Christian. I haven't had a quiet time for a while. After chasing two small kids all day, I feel wiped out. I'm too tired to read the Bible and pray. Mornings are crazy, and the kids don't nap at the same time, so I haven't had devotions in weeks. I'm not even sure I have a relationship with God anymore. I know there have been seasons in my life, long before I had kids, and now that my kids are fully grown, when my mornings aren't crazy and my days are not chaotic, when daily prayer and Bible study has been a struggle, with spending time in God's Word and communing with him in prayer has been sporadic at best and even absent at worst. I don't know how many January 1st there have been in my life when I said, this is the year I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. 
But then after a week, I was a day behind. After a month, I was a week behind. By March, I was a month behind. And by about but this time in August, I was saying, next year will be the year that I read through the Bible in a year. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. As we look at Psalm 19 this morning, my prayer is that we would have a renewed vision for our daily prayer and Bible study. That we would look at this rhythm not so much as a duty, but a delight. Not a burden, but a blessing. And not an obligation, but an opportunity to get to know this God who made us, who takes care of us, who saved us, who is sanctifying us, and who wants to spend eternity with us. And in getting to know Him, we get to know ourselves and how He wants us to live in this fallen and broken world that He loves. So please follow along with me as we read from God's Word, Psalm 19. We'll read the entire psalm, but we'll particularly be focusing on verses 7 through 14 today. Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, be present in this moment with the one who speaks and with all who listen, that by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us, we would proclaim your greatness and power. We would declare your love and grace, and we would give you all praise and glory and honor. And may you be at work in us to make us more like Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord and Savior. For his sake we pray. Amen. 
So as we look at verses 7 through 14 today, we'll be doing so in three parts. First, we'll look at what God's Word is, then what God's Word does, and then how we respond. What God's Word is, what God's Word does, and how we respond. But before we dive into those three points, let's go back and look very briefly at verses 1 through 6, which provide the context for what follows in the remainder of the psalm. Verses 1 through 6 describe how God reveals himself to all humanity through his creation. Theologians call this general revelation, and it is God's clear display of his glory and power in the works of creation and providence. And so we read in verses 1 and 2 here in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. And then in Romans 1, the Apostle Paul picks up on this and writes, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So God's glory, God's power, God's wisdom is all around us. But since the time of Adam and Eve, mankind has rejected what God has revealed about himself. We've exchanged the truth and testimony of God that we see all around us for a lie. And we've worshipped and served creaturely things rather than the creator. The problem is not that general revelation is not clear enough. It is. But it's that apart from the Holy Spirit working in our lives... Our eyes are too blind, our hearts are too dark, our mind is too dim to see God as he reveals himself in his creation. And at the same time, general revelation does not reveal to us Jesus Christ or his work of redemption for sinners. Thus there is a need for special revelation, the word of God itself, revealing to mankind the way of salvation. And that provides the context for verses 7 through 9, where David talks about the power of God's Word. Notice the nouns that we read here in verses 7 through 9. Law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, rule. All of these refer to God's Word, the Bible. The Bible teaches us who God is and how we are to live as men and women created in His image to bring him glory and honor in all things. And so within that context, let's look at what the Word of God is. And here, notice with me the adjectives that David employs in verses 7 through 9. Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. The Gallup organization recently released the results of a poll it had taken on trust in the news media. And I found some of the results to be rather fascinating. Of those polled, some 63% have little or no confidence in newspapers, TV, and radio when it comes to reporting the news fully, accurately, and fairly. Almost a complete reversal from 50 years ago, when 68% of those polled expressed either a fair amount 
or a great deal of confidence in news organizations. When Walter Cronkite used to close his CBS Evening News each night with the words, and that's the way it is, we believed him. But today, a full 84% of those who were polled expressed little or no confidence in television news. But that's not the part that I want to focus on this morning. What I find curious is that in the wake of almost two-thirds of the population having little or no confidence in news media, 40% of the respondents say they watch news from one of the three major networks at least several times a week, if not every night, and 56% say they watch news from a cable network at least several times a week. We're consciously making time to have our thoughts and opinions shaped by sources that we have little or no confidence in. And we live in a time where matters that for centuries have been considered settled are now open to debate again. What is a man? What is a woman? What is marriage? What constitutes a family? What constitutes a life? It's really no wonder that these discussions are taking place. When I can have my truth, and you can have your truth, who's to say what any of it means? Let each of us decide for ourselves, or so the spirit of the age says. And in contrast to all of that, God is telling us here in his word that his word stands. Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. It is perfect, telling us everything we need to know about who God is, in who we are. It tells us about the devastating effects of our sins and the perfect sacrifice of our Savior. It tells us all we need to know about eternity and about how we can come to be in fellowship with God. It is sure we can rely upon it. When all around us there are conflicting messages about what the truth is, God's Word does not change. It is sure. It is right. God's Word will never mislead us. It will never take us down a dead end. It's never out of date. It's always right. God's Word is pure, or as the NIV translates it, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God's Word sheds light on an otherwise dark pathway. Like the brilliance of the morning sun cutting through the darkness at dawn, God's Word casts the darkness aside and enables us to see clearly. It is clean. It has a purifying effect on us, showing us how to be in a right relationship with God that will endure forever. And it is true. God's Word tells us the truth about sin, about forgiveness, about heaven, and about hell. It is true. One of the fathers of the Reformation, John Calvin, describes Scripture as a pair of eyeglasses to correct our blurred vision, so that we might rightly understand God, His world, and His work. Calvin said that the Bible is not only what we read, it's what we read with. We use its pages as spectacles to view and read the world and the knowledge God has distributed throughout it. Calvin said, Scripture provides us with spectacles through which we may view the world as God's creation and his self-expression. 
I've been wearing glasses since I was in third grade. And if I were to take, a, take my glasses off, I could tell there are people in the room. Uh, if they were here, I might be able to pick out my wife and my son, uh, but I couldn't tell whether you were smiling or sleeping. I couldn't tell whether you were somebody I've known for a long time or someone I haven't met yet. I certainly couldn't read the pages that are here right in front of me. And you sure wouldn't want me behind a steering wheel. I'd be a danger to myself and everybody. I really couldn't function without having my glasses on. In fact, the first thing that I do in the morning when I wake up is to put on my glasses so I can be aware of what's going on around me and how I should respond. And so it is with God's Word. If we're ever to understand the world we live in, we must allow God's Word to serve as the glasses through which we perceive and understand the world and understand our lives and our purpose here on earth. That's not to say that we shouldn't watch news shows or read magazines or newspapers or engage with other types of media. By all means, it's good and right and important for us to know what's going on in the world so that we can respond with grace and truth. I'm reminded of an old poster from my days in college. On one side of the poster, there was a stack of textbooks, uh, science, math, history, business, and so on. And the other side of the poster, there was a Bible. Underneath the stack of textbooks were the words, reread these, and on the Bible, under the Bible it said, but never without this. But God's Word is not only the glasses through which we see the world around us, it also gives us a window into our soul. And as we compare our lives to God's perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true Word, we could be crushed under its weight. God is perfect, and we are not. He is sure and right. And we are confused and all too often wrong. He is pure and clean, but we are corrupt and dirty. He is true, and we are natural-born liars and deceivers. But David provides good news for us here in Psalm 19 as we move on to our second point, what God's Word does. And what David tells us here is that the Word of God overcomes the effect of sin in our lives. Notice the verbs that we read in verses 7-9. through Revives, makes wise, rejoices, enlightens, enduring. We read in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But here we read that the Word of God revives the soul. It brings spiritually dead people back to life. It provides rest for the weary. It restores our souls. In Romans 3, we read that there is no one who understands. But here we read that the Word of God makes wise the simple. Paul goes on in Romans 3 to say that apart from God, our paths are ruin and misery. But in Psalm 19, we read that the Word of the Lord rejoices the heart. Zephaniah 1.17 tells us that because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make you grope around like the blind. But here in Psalm 19, we read that the word of the Lord enlightens the eyes, enabling us to see. 
And in 1 John 2, we read that the world and its desires are passing away. We see that ourselves. Fashions come and go. Nations rise and fall. But in Psalm 19, we read that the word of the Lord stands forever. But friends, I want to be very clear here. God's word only benefits our lives in these ways if we've placed our faith and trust in the living word, Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who brings the dead back to life. He is the power and wisdom of God. He is the one who brings true joy to our lives. He is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. If you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, please talk to me after the service today. Talk to Pastor Matt when he returns from vacation. Uh, Talk to anybody you've seen up front today. We'd be happy to walk you through the Bible and tell you what the Bible teaches about sin and its effect on your life and the freedom that can be found only in Jesus Christ. Please give us the honor and joy of having that conversation with you, if not today, very soon. And for those who are followers of Jesus, let us spend time in God's Word daily, not out of a sense of fear that He won't love us if we don't, but because we love God so much for saving us. We are incredibly blessed here by the preaching ministry of Pastor Matt, actually all of his ministry, but his preaching ministry for sure. Each Sunday that he preaches, it's just a delight. Uh, I myself am a note-taker when I hear a sermon. And there are a lot of Sundays where I can't keep up with all the great points he's making from God's Word and just the insights that he's providing for us. And then there are those Sundays when I put my pen down and just bask in the beauty of God's Word and what Matt is preaching. He really is a gift to us, and we should all be deeply thankful for God for his preaching and his ministry to us. So imagine then uh, that Matt's sermons are like a weekly Sunday banquet, because I often have that same sense of satisfaction after hearing one of his sermons as I do after eating a fine meal. So imagine with me a table overflowing with the finest of meats and cheeses, ripe vegetables prepared to uh, perfection, or if you're like me, bowls and platters overflowing with with ravioli and fettuccine, and desserts, so many desserts. And you sit, and you eat, and you eat, as my grandma would say, manja, manja, until you're fully satisfied. And you leave knowing that an equally fulfilling banquet is waiting for you next Sunday. But carrying forward the metaphor of a weekly banquet, you wouldn't wait until next Sunday before you ate again. No matter how good and how fulfilling that meal was, you'd need to eat every day to remain healthy and strong. And so it is with God's Word. Our souls need reviving daily. We need wisdom daily. We need joy in our lives daily. We need to reorient our eyes towards the things of God's kingdom daily. Spending time in God's word each day prepares us to live fruitful and faithful lives, pleasing to him. We read in 2 Timothy 3, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need that training, that rebuking, that correcting, and that training in righteousness every day so that we're prepared to do the good work that God has prepared for us to do. Or think of an athlete, maybe a marathon runner. I may want to run a marathon so I could legitimately put one of those 26.2 stickers on my car. I really don't. Uh, But even when I was in shape, I couldn't just show up on the day of a marathon and expect to complete it. I'd have to train for it every day. And not just for a few days, but for weeks and months. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of an athlete to describe the life of a Christian. We read there in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And then he goes on in verse 27 to say, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Other translations read, I discipline my body and train it. Here at Liberty, we say that we live to speak, uh, live, speak, and serve as the presence of Jesus Christ in this region through our worship, community, and service. The Bible trains, it equips, it prepares us so that we can live a life that aligns with that purpose. And we need that training and that equipping daily. One thing that has been a blessing to me in my pursuit of daily time in His Word is doing it in community with my brothers and sisters here at Liberty. This is the third year that we have done a daily reading plan together through an app called YouVersion. Two years ago, we read through the entire Bible together in one year, and it was the first year, finally, that I accomplished the goal of reading the Bible through in a year. Last year, I took a year off from the app, and I'd have to say that my daily time with the Lord and His Word was more spotty again. So this year, I signed up for the app again. We're reading through the New Testament, and I'm keeping up pretty well. If you've fallen behind, or if you didn't start out the year reading through the New Testament, it's never too late to start reading God's Word. You don't have to start on January 1st. Start today. Right now we're about midway through 1 Corinthians. Jump in today and finish out the year reading God's Word. And reading it in community is a great way to spend time in God's Word daily, knowing that a number of your brothers and sisters here at Liberty are reading the same passage that you are. Looking at God's Word is and what God's Word does, it's no wonder that David then goes on in verses 10 and 11 to write that the word of the Lord is more desirable to gold than gold and more desired than honey as well. More desirable than the wealth and opulence that this world holds out as success and the pleasures that this world offers. Pastor Tim Chalice provides these four points as he analyzes verses 10 and 11. First, God's word is precious. David looks at his vast kingdom and all of its wealth and sees that it is as nothing compared to the surpassing worth of God's Word. Next, God's Word is pleasurable. As sweet as honey is, 
It can't compare to the sweetness of God's Word. Thirdly, God's Word is protective. It warns and protects us away from sin and its consequences. And lastly, God's Word is profitable. As we receive God's wisdom and obey His law, we receive all the benefits, all the riches of His kingdom that come from walking with God. The greatest of all of those rewards being God Himself. In many ways, Psalm 19 serves as the Cliff Notes version of Psalm 119, the longest of the Psalms, where each of the 22 stanzas focuses on God's law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, and judgments. And there in verse 97 of Psalm 119, we read, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. David loved the law of God because he loved the God who gave the law. Would that be true of us? That our love for God would lead us to a love for His Word and that it would be our meditation through all of our days as we navigate this life that He has given us. And so we've looked at what God's Word is and what God's Word does. Let's look finally at how we respond to God's Word. And what we see here is that David responds with prayer. And his prayer has two aspects to it. As he looks inwardly, he offers a prayer of confession. And then as he looks outwardly at his life, he prays a prayer of mission. First, David's prayer of confession. In verses 12 and 13, David confesses two ways in which he is prone to sin against God. And so are we. First are hidden faults in verse 12. He writes, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Each day we sin in any number of ways that we are unaware of. The darkness of our heart conceals from us sins that offend God and express either indifference to or hatred of other people. And we aren't even aware of it. Why is this? Well, it could be that we simply may not yet have been taught clearly from Scripture that what we are doing is wrong. Or perhaps we have acted or spoken in a sinful pattern so long without bearing any consequences for it that even when someone shows us from Scripture that it's wrong, we just can't see it. It's just a part of who we are. And here, David prays for God to pardon him, to declare him innocent. And this God does for us, for all who place their faith and trust in Jesus. As Paul writes in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I love the words to the song that we sing here at Liberty from time to time. For God the just was satisfied to look on Him, to look on Christ, and pardon me. God pardons our hidden sins. The second way of sinning comes out in verse 13. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. These would be sins that we commit because we presume to know better than God, or presume that sin is not really that big a deal. Back in my work days, we would have called these kinds of sins insubordination. I know God says this is wrong, 
and harmful. I know he tells me that I shouldn't do it. But in this moment, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it anyway. And though we may never express it in those terms, we know that we are guilty of those kinds of sins all the time. We know we aren't supposed to gossip. We know we're not supposed to lust. We know we're not supposed to be prideful or covet or be envious. But we do it anyway. And here David prays for God to break the power of such sins over us. He prays in verse 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. It's a prayer for power to not commit presumptuous sins. Again, in the words of the old hymn that we sing here sometimes on Sundays, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the vilest clean. His blood availed for me. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we proclaim each Sunday as we approach the Lord's table. That Christ has purchased our pardon and broken the power of sin over our lives by the shedding of His own blood, enduring the wrath of God so that we could experience the peace of God. But just as with God's Word, and as important and significant as communion is, let us not wait for a weekly celebration of Christ's redemptive work in our lives. Let's daily approach God, confessing to Him the sins that we cannot see and the sins we knowingly commit, asking for His pardon and for His power to break the power of sin over our lives, trusting in the Christ that has borne our sin and shame and who has set us free. Finally, in verse 14, David turns his gaze outward and prays that he would live a life of mission. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Mission is one of our nine rhythms of grace that we're working our way through this summer. And Matt is scheduled to preach on living a life of mission in just a few weeks. Another banquet to look forward to. But as we close our time together this morning, let me just say this. If you've been a church attender for probably any length of time, you've likely heard the preaching pastor pray those words at the beginning of his sermon. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And even if the pastor didn't outwardly pray that, you can be pretty sure that the pastor prayed that prayer in the days leading up to the sermon and even in the moments as he walked from his seat to the pulpit. But this prayer is not just reserved for the pulpit, but applies to our Monday through Saturday lives at work, at home, in our neighborhoods, and in our schools. How would your life be different if you prayed this prayer in the everyday situations of life? What difference might it make if when, as you were getting out of bed in the morning, you prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer? Would the way you treated your spouse or the way you parented your children be different if you prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight? 
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As you begin your day at work or uh, get ready for a meeting, or as you get ready for a class that you lead as a teacher or sit in as a student, would your relationships with your neighbor be different if you prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Brothers and sisters, may our hearts and minds be deeply rooted in God's Word as we daily read and meditate on it. And may we daily ask God to pardon our sins and break the power of sin over our lives so that in any situation God places us in this week, through all the moments of our days, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in God's sight. May it be so through Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we join with the psalmist in asking that you would develop in us a deep love for your word, that we would read it daily, that we would digest it and meditate upon it, that your word would take root in our hearts and turn us again and again to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you were satisfied to look upon Christ and pardon us, breaking the power of sin over our lives. And we pray that each and every day, in all of our starts and in our stoppings, in our going out and our coming in, in our hidden faults, in our, in our presumptuous sins, we would throw ourselves again and again on the amazing mercy and grace that is ours in Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.